0: Lord, and ask Him to bless us as we continue this morning. Father in heaven, we come now to seek your blessing as we contemplate together the testimony and witness of your word. Lord, please speak to us. And work the word into our hearts by your spirit. And Father, help us to understand what applies to us. And then, Lord, uh, make it effectual in us. Give us the strength, the grace, the wisdom, the faith to be obedient to your word. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. As uh, the chapter begins to draw to a close, that is Hebrews chapter 11, you're <coughs> presented with a further, and I think very impressive list of the blessings of faith in action uh, as a cloud of witnesses, as referred to as later in the chapter, uh, are brought forward to their testimony to what it is to live by faith. If we're not careful, however, as we come to this section, uh, it's easy to let the next part here become kind of like a tiny symbol. A sound that makes lots of noise on our ears, but uh, which proves to have little or no harmony in regard to our lives. And we're talking about people being tortured, uh, sawn asunder, and so on. And, and that is noise in our ears, but what does that mean? How does that apply to us? Now, ultimately, the pertinency of, of God's Word to each one of us rests really with the Holy Spirit's work in applying the truth to our hearts and in making it effectual to His purposes. It's essential that He be engaged in communicating to us the understanding of the Word or we will remain dull to it. And it's not just this portion, it's, it's any portion of God's Word. And that's true regardless of our age, or our learning, or our experience, or our familiarity with the Word of God. It also depends less on the cleverness and the ability of the one who is sharing the Word, and more on the work of the Spirit than most people suppose. Spurgeon was one of the most eloquent and effectual men of his age. But he was brought to repentance by the preaching of an unprepared, ineloquent officer of the church who was substituting for the pastor who couldn't get to the pulpit that morning because of a snowstorm. So here you have this man whose effectual preaching is known to the world, but he is brought to that place by the preaching of someone who wasn't even supposed to preach that morning and was totally unprepared, and really didn't like for being the David, the okay, knew the word of God, but he understood the necessity of this work of the Spirit when he taught us to pray with him, saying, as, as he does in Psalm 119, and verse 27, Make me understand the way of your precepts. And I will meditate on your wondrous works. Make me understand it by your Spirit. Give me that that understanding, that grasp of the truth by your Spirit, Lord. Paul referred to it when he wrote to the Corinthians under the inspiration of the same Spirit. Saying in 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. We are dependent upon the work of the Spirit to make any portion of God's Word uh, uh, applicable to us and profitable to us. Now, all this being true, there are things, however, That I can acknowledge and that you can acknowledge that will help us to better prepare for the works, for the Spirit's work in us. The first one is obvious, and it's prayer. Uh, Prayer is first and foremost among those things. We're not told to sit back and wait, but to earnestly pursue the blessings of God in and by prayer. We're not told, we have all these promises of God. Now, all we have to do is just sit back and wait for the fulfillment of all those promises in our lives. Now, we're instructed to seek them from the Lord in prayer. Again, Psalm 119, this is David, verse 144. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. He acknowledges The fact that the testimonies of the Lord are righteous forever. He says, I know that's true. Now, Lord, give me the understanding of those things that I might live. Matthew Henry says, what is revealed we should desire to understand, and what we know to know better, and we must go to God for a heart to know. What we know, we ought to know better, we must go to God for it. know better. Again, Psalm 119 verse 169, Let my cry come before you, O Lord, give me understanding according to your word. I had a friend in seminary, he was a great guy in, in many ways, and a good friend, but he had a voracious appetite. And he usually brought a minimum of three or four sandwiches to lunch and he inhaled those sandwiches. I mean, I'd still be unwrapping my lunch and he'd be done, all those sandwiches. And then it would happen. He'd try not to, but he just couldn't help it. He'd have inhaled all his sandwiches and I'd be unwrapping my lunch and he'd be kinda looking over at my lunch and wondering if perhaps there was something I didn't want so that he could have it too. The, the value he placed on my lunch was evident by the way he looked on it. And his look said, please share, please share. And it was hard to share sometimes because he had so much more than I had at lunch. But he was it was there in his eyes, and his appearance and his approach. The same is true with the word, brother. When we look on it, that. It is an appropriate way we should glance at it, with an eye towards God and say, please share, please share, please make me to know what's here for my benefit, for my blessing, for my growth. Feed me, Lord, with your word. Please share what you do. Have I already been blessed? Yes. But, oh Lord, please share the riches of your word with me. Further riches out of your word with me. That brings us to the second thing. So, prayer is first. Secondly, determination and effort. We're commanded to search the Scriptures. We're to approach them with the determination of those who desire to know how to apply them, and with an eye towards finding things prepared for us in them. And it's those who dig and study who benefit most from the Word of God, and not those who are uh, satisfied or content with a superficial glance. What does Psalm 1 tell us in verses 1 and 2? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the ways of sinners, nor sits in the seedless corners we scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The believer understands the value of the word, and then goes over it again and again to gain all that can be found in it, even in contexts like this, where we're talking about the suffering and, and the things that people endured out of faith and the things that they accomplished by faith. Psalm 119, verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. You want to know the ways of the Lord? Well, they're listed for you here at the end of Hebrews chapter 11. These are the ways of the Lord. Men and women by faith do these things, men and women by faith endure these things. Did you ever send someone looking for something? And because they failed to put much effort into it, uh, they came back empty-handed. This used to happen to us a lot on Sunday mornings when we send our children to find the various parts of clothing that they needed in order to be ready to go to church. And they go to their room and they come back a few minutes later and say, "I can't find it. it might be a shoe or a sock or a tie or whatever. Their Bible. I can't find it." And of course you walk into the room and it's right there and you go right to it and you say, it's right here. Why didn't you see it? And the reason they didn't see it was their heart wasn't in looking for it. It's the same thing when it comes to the word of God. We don't want to be in that state where we aren't really looking and so we're not really finding. We want to dig. We want to study. We want to know what God has to say to us. The third thing is expectation. We are to do the digging with the expectation that there's something precious and worthwhile to be found in all of this for us, for our hearts, for our lives, for our walk before the Lord. It's the promise of God. Many of you know these verses. You could recite them. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. While Scripture is breathed by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for the training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Psalm 119 again, verses 97-99. through Oh, how I love your law! It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation." There is in that very prayer, that very statement, an expectation that in the Word, those things will be found. And the more certain we are that we'll find what we're looking for, the more earnest will be our efforts in searching for it. The higher the value we place on what we're searching for, the more sincere the efforts will be in trying to find them. So, we come now to the end of Hebrews chapter 11. And what you have here is a list of things accomplished in and by faith and things endured in and by faith over the history of the church. That's what's said before us here. And it's worthy of our study. It's worthy of our understanding. It's worthy of our asking God to reveal to us how this applies to us and why He has given us this testimony. Why is He talking about these people in this way? Why is He telling us about uh, uh, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, the stopped mouths of lions. Why is he saying those things before us here in this context? Now, as we look at it, you can kind of outline what's before you here. We can outline it like this. In verses thirty-three and thirty-four, you have a list of extraordinary things done. And then in verses 35 through 37, you have a list of extraordinary things endured by faith. So it's an easy outline. 33 and 34, extraordinary things done by faith. In 35 through 37, extraordinary things endured by faith. And even though there are more verses in the second list, um, actually, there's the same number of things there. And this leads us to a general conclusion. These things. And the general conclusion, as Ed one of the men who helped in the development of the Westminster Confession of Faith, who puts it this way for us. Faith eyes God and rests on Him, yea, and draws virtue from Him, to do or to endure whatsoever shall seem good to him. And that's really the, the general message given here. That faith fixes its eyes on God, faith then rests on that God that our eyes are fixed on, and then we draw virtue from him, and that enables us to do extraordinary things. That's how these things were done. The subduing of kingdoms, the enforcing of justice and so forth. And to endure great things like being tortured for your faith or imprisoned for your faith. It is having our eyes fixed on God, resting in Him, and then drawing virtue from Him that enables one to do those things. That's the general conclusion here the one that serves us in our everyday lives and circumstances. You have things to do by faith. How do you do that? By fixing your eyes on God, by resting in Him, and drawing virtue from Him. You have things you have to endure. Some of them are very hard. How do you endure them? By fixing your eyes on Him, resting in Him, and drawing your virtue from Him. Whatever a day may bring or require of me in the order of God's uh, providence, I am going to find everything necessary to meet and or endure it by fixing my eyes on Him in faith, by resting in or on Him and His promises, And by drawing from him and his grace and his wisdom, his patience, his trust, all the strength that I need to either do what's required of me or to endure what's required of me. Now the question is, okay, so that's the simple lesson. Well, how do you do that? How do you do those things? And the answer is complex, but it can be summed up. In three things. We go back to the other one. Number one, prayer. Secondly, believe. And thirdly, obey. Pray, believe, and obey. James says to you, by the Spirit of God, in James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, Let him ask God, or let us pray who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him, or to her. So, if there's suddenly something you have to do, and you have to do it, and you have to have the faith to do it, then where do you find the faith to be able to do that? You go to God, and he shows you how to do that. Through His Word, if there's something we have to endure and we're not sure how we're going to bear up under or how we're going to endure, it, we go to Him and we pray for the wisdom, the understanding, the grace that we need to be able to endure. And he promises to give. David promises in Psalm 37 verses 4 through 6, "Delight yourself in the Lord." and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the day. Believe. First pray, and then believe. Believe what He says here. He says, Delight yourself in Him, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to Him, And he will ask, I have this great thing that I have to do in the name of the Lord. How will I find the strength and the grace to do it? By committing our way to him and trusting in him, believing his word, doing what he calls on us to do. And then watching that fall out and develop as he blesses us. And that comes to the last thing, doing it. The Lord spoke very plainly to his people by the prophet Jeremiah About obedience. In the prophecy of Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 23, the Lord says, This command I gave them obey my voice, and I will be your God. It's one of those uh, statements that you say, What part of this is difficult to understand? What part of this do you have to have a theological degree from Western Reformed Seminary to be able to apply to your life? Any part of it? No. It's plain, isn't it? Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. Then verse 24 tells us the problem. They did not obey or incline their ear. you but they walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. Nothing has changed, beloved. John says in 1 John 5, 2, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commands." So when we pray, believe, and obey, we show our love for God, And the presence of the Spirit in our lives. And we find the things that we're looking for. Now, let's go to the lesson here itself. Hebrews chapter 11. Look at the examples we've given here. We'll come back and apply this summary. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33. These men and women of faith, through faith, conquered kingdoms, they enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you we're in a battle this morning against kingdoms. Raise your hand. You, you better all raise your hands. Come on, put on, up, put them up. You better know that, beloved. You better be aware. picture for us so that they look back and say, oh, look at King David conquering his enemies. This is here for you. That's why I'm saying that we need to be looking and digging and asking the Lord to reveal to us the application of this for our own hearts and our own lives. Now let's just look at the mechanics for a moment and then we'll proceed into this. We're going back to chapter 11, verse 1 and 6. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, must believe that he is God as God is, as he declares himself to be, and that he rewards those, or answers those, who seek him. That's what faith is according to this chapter. Now, by this faith and trust in God as God, and in His Word to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, men, women, and children, including all those listed here in chapter 11, have accomplished things like this. First of all, through struggling against them by faith, Kingdoms have been subdued. By struggling against those kingdoms, by faith, they have been subdued. Now let's talk about the field of battle. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. I know most of you have heard those words before. When Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, is he just talking about himself and the apostles? No, who's he talking about? That's what he's talking about. In living out our our days in this world, we are wrestling against kingdoms. And we've made this point many times, but it can't be said too often that Paul is pointing out here in Ephesus that this struggle is going on in your own. About it before because we tend to take these these what we might call classic statements and separate them from their context. But Paul says this just after talking about you and your wife, or you and your husband, or you and your children, or you and your workplace. He's just finished talking about all of those things, and then he ends it by saying, "Look in your home." In your marriage, in your relationship with your children and with your parents, in your relationship with the body of Christ, in your relationship in the world, you are wrestling not with flesh and blood. And you need to understand that in the context of these things. The struggle manifests itself in different ways. But he's talking about the struggle going on in your home, in your church, in your community, in your life. And sometimes the struggle's in very tangible terms, and sometimes in very intangible terms. But the struggle against the embodiment of evil, in whatever way it manifests itself, must be carried on by and in faith. That's how those powers are subdued. That's what Hebrews 11 is telling me here. How did these people subdue kingdoms? By faith. How can you subdue the kingdoms that are threatening you and your life and your relationships and so on? By faith. That's the lesson here. As the children of God, you are the enemies of Satan. And the objects of his malice. First Peter 5:8, another familiar passage. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary. Who's adversary? What you say, mom? Who's adversary? Yeah. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Who's he seeking to devour? Me. Me. good. Give those pronouns right. Pronouns are very important in these days. Ephesians <laughs> <laughs> 6.11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now how do we just subdue the efforts of this kingdom against us and against those we love? In the same way it was literally done in the example set before you in the earlier portion of this chapter. By hey. I'm going to try that again. By? That was a little bit better. As Gideon overcame the Midianites, what three things did he do? He prayed, he believed, and he obeyed. And by that means, he subdued and overcame those kingdoms. So you and I, Overcome the kingdoms of sin and Satan by praying, by believing, and by obeying. If we believe that, as God says in his word, our marriage, our children, our church, our culture, we ourselves are the objects of real and powerful malice. What sort of prayer do we need? What kind of prayer do you need? If your marriage is the object of the malice of Satan, what kind of prayer do you need to, to carry on faithfully in that context? If you know your children are the objects of the malice and the hatred of Satan, what kind of prayers do you need to be offering for them? What kind of prayer life do you have to be engaged in? You're looking for a practical application of this? It's right there before you go you're wrestling against kingdoms and the only hope you have is in doing them, is faith. Our faith means us to believe that what God says is true. And if I would serve Him in my marriage and find protection against all the rage against it brought by sin and by Satan, then I must believe that the answer for that is going to be found here in God's Word that loving my wife as as Christ loved the church is essential. And then, obviously, beloved, I must do it carefully, I must do it faithfully, I must do it deliberately, drawing the understanding and strength to do so from the Lord. I have to carry out my responsibilities in that context by faith. If we believe, as God says, that folly is bound up in the heart of the child what sort of prayer for this do we need in regard to our parenting and how we should pray for those who are engaged in that work who are around us we're not all actively parenting now but beloved when families have stood up here and become a part of this church I ask you would you pray for them? Will you pray for them? And you, with one voice, said yes. And the question is, are you doing it? Are you praying for them as they, as they raise these children who are the objects of Satan's malice? Are you praying for the wisdom and the discretion that they need? All of us who are past that point in our lives, Do you realize that raising children today has many more challenges than it did when we were raising our children? There's just no question about it. It's a reality. And are we praying like we know that and believe that and understand that and believe that they need the wisdom of God's Word in order to be able to do the job God's given them to do? So I don't mean it that way. What I mean is, we're looking for how to practically understand what's said before us here, and this is how we practically understand it. Kingdoms were subdued. By what? By faith. How are kingdoms subdued today? By faith. It's the same thing. And these things are written for our admonition, for our instruction, for our growing in grace, for our understanding, in our own age. And if we believe the Word of God, then serious, thoughtful discipline has to be carried out for the protection and the blessing of our children. Knowing that sin has produced a, a wicked spirit of malice to our children, clearly manifested in our day by abortion, trafficking, exploitation, and believing, as God's Word says, that faith is the victory that overcomes the world, we're bound to see these things not as the world tries to portray them, but as God does, and then to imbe- obey and implement the word of God according to our own calling and our own opportunity. By that I mean we're, we hear of exploitation and trafficking, we'd be praying for the protection of the children who are exposed to those things below. Pray for the frustration of the wicked, for the exaltation of righteousness, and for The the triumph of the gospel. We can look at those little children being dragged across the border realizing that they don't have the protection that they need. Well, who's praying for their protection? Who's interceding for them? It should be the people of God. The evil involved there is subdued by faith. And faith calls on us to pray, to believe, and obey then we do what we can, however we can Contribute what we can. It's the divinely prescribed way to subdue the rage of the kingdom of hell against me, against my family, against you and your families in all spheres. We also see here that faith works righteousness or enforces justice. It animates the life of the believer and it brings forth just and good behavior. That's the idea here. Faith, by the word and by the work of the Spirit, convinces, convicts, and corrects. What brought King David to his knees Confronted us with his sin. Wasn't it his faith when Nathan pointed out his sin? It was, called, it was because David truly believed in God and His Word that his heart was It's the spouse truly convinced that ill behavior toward his or her mate is sin. Is sin. I mean, hell born, God dishonoring, Christ crucifying, soul destroying sin. The spouse who is convicted in his or her own heart of the guilt of such behavior, who lives by faith, turns from it to serve Christ. He or she just does. If they believe that, if they believe it, If they don't believe it, they don't believe the Word of God. It's the child who is convinced that his or her disobedience and rebellion toward a parent is sin, the same sort of sin I just described, who is convicted, repents, and seeks to serve God by truly honoring his or her parents. That's the way it works. It produces, faith produces righteousness because of the fact that we believe God. And that faith and that belief in God convinces us of sin, it calls us to repentance, and it blesses us by showing us the path that we should follow. There's a positive side to it as well. It's not just in a negative way that it works. By faith, we see the virtue, the profit, the joy that's found in the paths of righteousness. Isaiah chapter 30, and verse 18. <clears throat> Read, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. For a people shall dwell in Zion and Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you. saying, this is the way, walk in it when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. That's how the Spirit works in applying the Word to our hearts and our lives. He shows us this is the path of blessing, this is the path of joy, this is the path of peace, and believing that by faith, we walk in. The third thing that we're confronted with here is that faith qualifies for and moves us to believe in and apply and enjoy the promises of God. And all of this is implied by the statement that by faith promises were obtained. That's all it says here in Hebrews 11. By faith promises were obtained. And this idea that it's by faith that we actually obtain and have the promises enjoy them and get the blessing of them is so fundamental that we almost overlook it. But it sits at the very heart beloved of all your own. Genesis 15, 6 says, and he, this Abraham, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He got the fullness of the promise because he believed. In 1 Peter 1, 8 9. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, though you not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is expressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Interesting construction here. You believe and have obtained. You have it. You are believing and you have obtained the salvation of your souls. You have the promise because you are believing. You know, we survey the word of God and we see men and women enjoying the blessings and the comfort of the promises of God and we're tempted sometimes to wonder where are those things for me? I see all these champions of faith and I see the things they're doing and I see the promises and I see the great things they were able to do and great things... They were able to endure and all as they retain the promises of the Lord. Where are those things for me? But we don't need to wonder. They are obtained by faith, which involves praying for them and according to them. That is praying for the things that God's promised, see them fulfilled in our lives, in the lives of our children. As those who truly believe in them, beloved, and in the God who promises them, and then acting as those who do believe in those promises by obeying the word attached to them. Many believe, sadly, that their faith has to be tempered by their experience. So they have faith. But that faith only goes as far as their experience will allow them to go. So they put a little guardrail on it. I don't want to have that much faith. Because I, 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 my experience tells me faith gets me this far. Their judgment. That's too much to hope. That's too much to expect. And what they might term real world possibilities and caution. People limit their faith in that way, and then they wonder, wonder why they see and enjoy so little of the promises of God. Now, I believe God can do that, but you know, come on, we live in the real world, don't we? And so, there are limitations here on what God can do. Is that what we're being told here in Hebrews 11? Say, so have faith, but limit it, because you know your experience. You that you just can't put, you know, you've got to be careful about putting too much trust in God, relying on Him too much, praying too much, having too much confidence in Him. It's not what it says at all. It says it's the opposite. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Whoever draws near to Him must believe that He is who He says He is and can do what He says He will do. And that he rewards those who come to him There are others for whom it's even worse. They live lawfully and sinfully. They keep God and his word at a distance from their lives and their actions, and then they wonder why they don't see the blessings of God. Faith says, These things are mine. These things are purchased for me by the blood of the Lamb. Do you understand? When you take some promise of the God, some promise of the Word of God, that applies to you, and you doubt that, that reflects back on Christ, because He is the one who purchased those promises and the blessing of them for you. And faith looks at it this that way; it doesn't sit back and say, "Why well, deserve God to be good to me?" He looks back and says, I am looking for the fulfillment of the promises of God to me because Christ died for me, because he purchased them for me on the cross with his blood. God will keep his word. The Lord will keep his word to His servant. That's the way we need to pray, It's the way we need to believe and then we need to act as though we do. Psalm 86, verse 3, David says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon me. Do you pray that? Do you believe that? you act as though you do. That's how faith operates. Psalm so 119, verse 38, it says, so They are confirmed to your servant your <coughs> that you may be few. You have to pause here, but we're going next week to we continue to see just how these statements are not meant to give us a list of things to be admired from the past, but rather to apply to the present. Lawson, Puritan, says, this informs us that as great things are done, so great things are attained by faith, which believes the word of God and relies upon his promises. For God promised, they believed, the things promised were performed. And what we're told here as we move to chapter 12 is, these. this is a cloud of witnesses saying to you, do this. Live by faith believe God, obey God, pray to God, and see what falls out. All this uh, here is to take the veil for the heart, as as Mary says, from the heart, and to demonstrate the deeper reality that all of this was done, all these things in chapter 11 were done and endured by faith in God, and that this was in itself the work of God, the Holy Spirit, in their hearts. And that's done to show that the just in any age shall live in all its beauty and wonder by faith. And that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you worth the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray for the grace to understand what it means to live by faith and how it applies to us in the context of our daily lives, in our homes, in our relationships with one another. Lord, we as your people know that we're in a battle. And Father, we pray that uh, believing that, we may respond accordingly. Father, We look around us and we see weakness in ourselves. We see weakness in our institutions. There is only one place to find strength and that is in and with you. Grant us the grace to do so. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who is without any hope or faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that they may see that the life that they're living is one who will never bring them peace or satisfaction, because they are at odds with you. And I pray, Lord, that you would grant them the faith to believe that you are the true and living God, that you are everything you declare yourself to be. And that Lord, they'll come believing and find in you forgiveness of sin and the blessing of the life that is to be found through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, strengthen our families. Help us in our homes. Let us be well-armed. Lord, encourage us for the fight. Father, give us a spirit of obedience, and may you be glorified even as your blessings fall upon us. For we ask and plead for it in Jesus, our Savior's name.